Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. All right. Well, it is awesome being with you guys this morning. And I, I was talking to uh, Ken and Larry, and they actually warned me about the second service. They said, this is kind of a rowdier bunch, a livelier crew. So... I'm excited about that, but I'm watching you guys in the very back, you know, don't, don't get out of hand, don't start throwing things or, you know, trying out your dance moves that uh, Jesse just ta- taught you in during worship. I mean, we're, this is, this is going to be a fun morning, and here's why, because we're going to talk about, and we're going to start this journey towards freedom, and some of us go, well, I've heard that word before, I've Maybe we've done some series before about freedom and what does that look like? Maybe we've read some books or this is, this is going to be a whole new experience for you. So everything that you sort of believe about grace and freedom and, and really especially how that applies to your story, we want to just sort of reinvent that space over the next seven weeks. And we want you to kind of take a look at your story and your, especially your past and some of the struggles and some of the pain and some of the, those, those valley experiences or some of those decisions that you really regret. And we're going to start looking at that and saying, like, God, how, how does your grace apply to that season of my life? Or, or how does freedom apply to, to some of the things that we're dealing with right now? God's got a lot to say about that. And the fun thing about the next seven weeks is that we're going to get to do it together as a family as brothers and sisters in Christ, that we're going to be able to share our stories with each other. Because we're going to do some amazing things on the weekend. Um, but the, the key to this series and the key to Freeway and really experiencing, I think, what God has for each and every one of us is the part where we actually meet in groups and with each other. And we actually have an opportunity to, to share and to talk and unpack some of the things that, that have happened in our life or the things that that, that we are struggling with, and whatever that looks like. And here's the deal. Here's a big value of the next seven weeks is that we're not going to sort of force you to air all your dirty laundry or tell all your, your deepest, darkest secrets or anything like that. But this is just an opportunity to, to begin to open up some of those... There's a little piece of trash that came into my pocket right there. Um, <laughs> hello, piece of trash. We'll just kind of push you over there. Um, to, to open up just a little bit. Maybe just start with a simple thing. Maybe it's a, it's a messy relationship that you've been in that you've just gotten out of. Maybe it's some issues of unforgiveness that you've been holding on for a really long time in your life. Maybe there's some bigger issues of, of maybe addiction or secret sin that you've been just kind of struggling with and, and you've, you've kind of kept in the dark and you, you, you've never really faced it and really allowed God to, to move into that space Maybe, you want, maybe that's what we're going to work on in the next seven weeks. But here's the thing. We're going to do it together. And it's not just about sort of worshiping and hearing some messages. It's about you guys sharing each other's lives with each other. Because I, I truly believe that's where transformation happens. There's, we, love, we love the weekends. We do. And this is an incredible part of our journey. But, but the magic, I really believe the magic happens when we get together with each other in a small group. And we're going to have the opportunity just after church to, to sign up and pick up a, one of these uh, little workbooks uh, that, that uh, I, I sort of describe this workbook, like if you're a lady, 
this is sort of like a spa day for your heart, okay? <laughs> and if you're a guy, this is sort of like a tailgate party where, <laughs> where you talk about life and not the game. And, and it's really simple and easy. I mean, there's just lots of pictures in it because I'm not a very deep guy, so I just put a lot of pictures in it. But you don't have to be a Bible scholar. You don't have to, you don't have, to have all the answers. I mean, you just, it, it's such an easy process to kind of work through the book and journal some things and do some assessments and really discover a lot about you and your meaning and purpose and what God's been doing in your story. And so it's a really great invitation. doesn't matter, maybe you're new to, to church and you're just, maybe this is your first couple of weeks and you're like, I don't know what this whole Christian God thing is all about. This is going to be perfect for you because you're going to learn about God's grace, his radical grace in the type of relationship that he wants to have with you, not, not a condemning relationship, which I think a lot of us kind of who, who don't know God well or kind of seen you know, pictures of religion out there in our culture that he's, he's mad at you, that he's condemning, that he's, he's, he's legalistic and angry. That's not God. Over the next few weeks, you're going to learn that he's a God that, that loves you and is crazy about you. Maybe some of you have, maybe you're not new to Christianity, but you, you've been doing this, whole Christian journey for a very, very, very long time. And maybe you feel like you got all the answers and you do your quiet times and you're a great prayer warrior. And, and, and I love that. But here's the thing that I truly believe about you in that category of people is that God has something to show you too. And so it's a matter of opening up our lives and our stories and really discovering what the freeway is. It, a lot of us are probably sort of like my, my Toyota that uh, is one of our family cars. I'm, in my family, I'm kind of the guy responsible for washing cars. And so we have this Shell gas station that's near us. And so I take the cars down and run it through the Shell car wash uh, basically once a week, uh, mostly, mostly on Saturdays. And so a couple weeks ago, I was taking our Toyota down to the Shell car gas station to... Uh, um, get the car washed. And I run it through. And, and sometimes when I'm really, you know, I got a little extra time, really in the, in the mood, I'll, I'll do an extra layer of care for the car and I'll actually vacuum it and kind of wipe down the inside of it. And so this, this was one of those, those weekends where I ran it through and I'm like, I'm going to, you know, splurge for the 50 cents to, to get that vacuum piece. And so I put in my couple quarters, got the vacuum going and wiping down the car. I'm like, oh, you know what? I better check the center console and, and see if there's some things that need to be cleaned in there. And there's this little console in our car, and I, I slowly slid open the little slider that was covering the console. And, and inside this console, was it, it just was a disgusting mess, like trash and old water bottles and Altoids were spilled everywhere. And there was like cracker crumbs and, and, and little receipts that had gum like squished in between it. It's like, it was gross. It's like, I, I needed a, a hazmat suit or something going in there. I'm like, wow. And, and I think sometimes our lives look that, like that. We have sort of these center consoles of our heart in our lives, we just kind of stuff things in and we throw, you know, the Altoids and the gum and the receipts and the trash and we just kind of store it in there and then we slide the lid over and it's, like, it's almost like it doesn't even exist. 
just riding around in our car, and it's all good. The outside looks good. It's clean. It's been vacuumed. But there's the console. And, and so freeway is really about saying, hey, the console of your heart that you've been stuffing things in, kind of those unattractive things or those things that you just don't know what to do with. Maybe it's your stress or anxiety. Maybe it's a, 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 a bankruptcy. Maybe it's, it's a, a, an abusive family that you grew up in. You're just stuffing it in the, the console. Just putting it like, we'll, we'll deal with that later. We'll, we'll get to that. And you think like, I'll just keep driving my car. And yeah, I know I got the console, but, but freeway's going to us an opportunity to... to we're not going to have to slam open the console and like get everything out and throw it all. No, like just to slide it open a little bit and say, what's, what's an area of my heart and my life, my story that I can start looking at? And that's what we want to do. It's going to be a great run. And, and by the way, you are not alone. There's, there's been over 90,000 people last year that went through this process. I got in a group and went through this workbook and, and the stories that came from that were amazing. Over 500 churches last year went through free. Are gonna, you're going to do what, what literally thousands of people have done. And the stories are incredible. And it's because God, God wants us to, re, to just remember and to be reminded that the relationship that he wants with us is a, is a relationship of freedom where we can be ourselves, where we can experience sort of a, a powerful second chance. And so I'm excited for you guys. If you have your Bibles, I want to look at um, Genesis 1, because I think this idea of freedom really starts about who we are and who God intended us to be. Because God had a plan and a purpose for our lives, and it's sort of like you were born, and you're this little baby, and life was amazing, and it was simple, and you just sort of pooped your pants and ate applesauce, and it was all good, Right? And then all of a sudden, as we start getting older, what comes into our lives? Pain and hurt. And that kid on the playground pushes us over and calls us a, a nasty name. And we cry and it hurts. And all of a sudden, like these, this intention that God had for us, sort of this, this beautiful, free, creative, engaged, joy-filled, peace-filled life has been corrupted by a broken world. And so we've been picking up these things along the way, our struggles and our hurts and those, those mean things that have been said and those moments of regret that we've had in our lives. And we sort of pick these up and we've, we've become people that, that God never intended us to be. And so really maybe the first start of our journey towards freedom is reminding ourselves who we truly are. When I'm working with people, when I'm counseling uh, people, and I do that quite a bit, you know, my goal with them isn't necessarily to fix their problems. In fact, it's never my goal to fix people's problems or try to fix them. That's God's problem. <laughs> that's, that's what he does. My, my job is to love people, not fix people. But, but one of the things that I always try to do is, is in their moment of struggle or crisis or when they're hurting or when they're believing things about their life, they, they tend to forget who they really are. And they need to be reminded I know that happened in my own life. Uh, when I was 19 years old, I was uh, water skiing on a church water ski trip at the Colorado River. And it, it was my first time water skiing. And I remember the, the morning, we, we got kind of an early start. And I was the first one in. And, 
And I got to be honest, it was not a good experience for me at all. I, I felt like I spent more time being dragged by the boat underwater than above the water. And I think the way water skiing goes is that you're supposed to be on top of the water. But, but I was not having a good time. So after about 15, 20 minutes of this, of just completely probably drinking gallons and gallons and gallons of the Colorado River and taking that in going, I'm done with this, hop back in the boat, kind of embarrassed, a little, a little dejected. And, and then we some of the other better skiers got in and they started doing their thing and, you know, zipping along and doing their little tricks and their slaloms and they were good and I was not good. And, and so my friend Kyle kind of noticed I was a little down about the fact that I was not a good water skier and didn't quite turn out the way I had hoped. So he goes, hey, Mike, do you want to drive the boat? I'm like, sure, I'll drive the boat. How hard could this be, right? It's like a car. It's got a little steering wheel. You go, let's do this. And so he gets the boat started, and uh, we were pulling a skier, and then he goes, okay, Mike, it's your turn. So I got behind the wheel of the boat. And then after just literally a couple minutes, the guy who we were pulling kind of does this little motion, like, hey, I want to go the other direction. And so I, I began to turn the boat into what I, I believed was, was clear water. The, unfortunately, it, it wasn't clear water. And there was a skier from another boat who had sort of fallen in my pathway. And as I turned the boat, I, I saw the skier too late. And I, I panicked, and I wasn't able to turn in time, and I hit him. And I got to be real honest, like, like those sorts of moments, they, they sort of happen in, in very slow motion. But, but in that moment, there was just this, this change that happened. Like, I, I knew that life would not be the same from that point on. The, uh, the propeller of the boat actually hit the skier in the water. And as he's sort of trying to protect himself, the propeller caught his arm and then hit his head. And just, just basically um, annihilated his arm, tore it to shreds. And he would suffer some brain damage. He would, he would barely survive. There was a pool of blood. People were screaming. It, it was a, one of those nightmare scenarios. I just remember standing in that boat. And you know we hear about hit and runs on the news. You probably hear a lot of those stories and people run. And, and I totally understand that. Because when, when that happened, I just wanted to run away. Get as far away from the damage that I had done in that moment. There would be a, um, a court case. I'd be prosecuted by the district attorney. Uh, I would be looking at six months of jail time, and, and luckily, because there was no drinking involved and because I had a clean record, the judge sus- suspended that sentence and uh, served probation, paid a fine. There'd be a lawsuit. And then on top of that was just the, the guilt and the shame that I felt because of what had happened on that river and what I had done to that guy. I, I was not the victim. I was the perpetrator. And yes, I completely understood the concept of this was a tragic accident. But in my heart and in my mind and the way that I framed this whole thing up, it didn't matter that it was an accident. I did this. I hurt somebody. I caused pain. I, I screwed it all up. 
And so I carried this weight and I, and I stuffed all this stuff into my center console in my heart. And I started believing things about myself and about my life. I started writing rules, not rules that the court was telling me or that my friends were telling me or that God was telling me, just rules that I made up in my head. Here was one of the rules. Mike, because of what you did to that guy, to that skier, the water is now off limits to you. And I believe that. I didn't tell anybody that, but I accepted that as a truth of my life and of my story. And we do that, don't we? When, when we hurt people or when we make poor decisions or, or life doesn't turn out the way we thought it would, we start believing things about ourselves and our lives. And thankfully, just through, through many years of just um, kind of processing that and allowing God's grace to flow over that part of my story, I, I finally found freedom. But it took a long time. And I think for you, if you're honest, there's certain things that you believe about yourself and your life and who you are that, that I want to challenge today, that God wants to challenge, that, that as we move into this space of talking about God's freedom and grace, that, it, that those, what I call little T-truths, little truths that we believe, not God's big T-truth, but the little T-truths, the rules that we've written about our lives, what's okay, what's not okay, what we're qualified for, what we're disqualified for, all that stuff, I want to just like clear the slate and allow grace to rush in and get back to who we are, reminding ourselves who we are. And who are we in Genesis 1, 26? It says like that we're created in God's image. It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. You, whether you like it or not, whether you believe it or not, whether you operate in this freedom or not, whether you operate in this good news or not in your, in your typical day, you and I are made in the image of God. That's an amazing thing. That gives you worth. It gives you dignity. It gives you value that that for many of us, because of our past, because of the struggles that we've been through, we're not, we're not fully grab it, grasping a hold of. And God invites you to start seeing yourself differently. What does freedom look like? Living in freedom means that you can be fully you. Fully you. And isn't that good news? Because we live in a world that, that is constantly trying to shape us into different people. We, we live in a society that says, like, you will be defined by that number on a scale. Your weight, your looks, your beauty, your, the size of your bank account, the type of job or career that you have, what it says on your business card. You will de be defined by your successes, or you will be defined radically by your failures. And God says, listen. Strip all that away, all that, the, that, that false self, that persona, that, that weight that you carry trying to be somebody that you were never intended to be. Like, lay that at the foot of the cross and you just be you. That's what he wants. And that's what freedom starts to look like. But here's the deal. And here's sort of the tragic piece of this. 
you know, we, we know that God wants us to be ourselves and that he created us and that we are in the image of, of God and that he loves us and that, that he forgives us. We, we know all that intellectually and we go to church and we sing songs about this. But here's the problem. They did a, a study recently where they, they asked Christians, when, when God thinks about you and your life, like you as a person and your story, when he thinks about you, Joe and Jane and Peter and and Paula and like when when he thinks about you guys, what is the overwhelming emotion that he feels towards you? And so they asked church people this question: people who knew the gospel, people who knew the Bible, people who've been going to church. They they answered this: the the overwhelming response to the question, "What does God feel when He thinks about you?" The number one answer on that survey was this: when God thinks about me, He feels disappointed. And that's shocking to me. He feels disappointment. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a guess that there's some people in the room this morning that if you got really honest about it, when God thinks about you and your story and your life and, and what you're doing right now and, and you as a parent and you as a follower of Christ and you as a, a business owner and you as an individual that that you think he's disappointed. That he's just shaking his head up in heaven going, gosh, that Mike Foster, what an idiot. Oh, I, I just, just keep screwing that up. Boy, I, I don't know, honestly, I don't know if I can have Mike in my family anymore. I mean, so maybe he's just going to be like one of those uh, sons that we kind of, we don't bring out in public. I mean, here's, here's the, the wrestling that we're going to have to do in our hearts. Like, we're going to have to change that mindset that the, the overwhelming feeling that God has for you is not disappointment, no matter what you think about yourself. The overwhelming feeling that God has for you is love. He created you to love you. He's proud of you. And not only does he love you, this may be surprising, not only does he love you, but he likes you too. He likes you. He's glad you're his son and his daughter. He's proud of you. He's not disappointed. Second thing about living in freedom is that um, your self-worth comes from being God's creation. The fact that you are made in the image of God, that you are his, that you are his son and daughter, that you are the, the prince and princess of an almighty king, like, like that fact means that your self-worth does not come from our society or our culture or our or the, the type of um, you know, clothes you wear, the type of car you drive, your self-worth comes from being God's child. And yet, that's a hard one, isn't it? Just resting in that. Letting that rush over our stories. Like, God, just you are enough, and I am enough. I don't have to prove myself. A lot of us have, have these, these negative messages that are playing in our head and our heart that are reminding us of our failures, reminding us of our addictions, reminding us of, of those moments that, that we just wish would never have happened, reminding us of the boating accidents, reminding us of all that stuff that we stuffed in that center console and saying, oh, you're a horrible person. God is so disappointed. It's like a a mixtape. How many of you know what, what this is? I know it's an antique. <laughs> this, my friends, is a, 
a cassette tape, otherwise known as a mixtape. And when I was a kid, I used to love mixtapes. And I would load up all my favorite songs on, onto these tapes, like songs by, by John Bon Jovi, you know? I mean, he is literally the Shakespeare of our day, in my opinion. <laughs> Shot through the heart, and you're to blame. <laughs> Darling, you give love a bad name. John Bon Jovi, folks. Only John Bon Jovi could come up with lines like that. So I put like John Bon Jovi songs on here, Depeche Mode, Madonna. By the way, I heard this really shocking thing about Madonna this week is on, uh, on this news feed I was reading that apparently there's some very popular radio station that refuses to play Madonna songs now because apparently Madonna is irrelevant. And I'm like, this is a world that I do not want to live in, people, where Madonna is irrelevant because I love Madonna. I put Madonna songs on here. I put John Bon Jovi songs. I mean, this was uh, Cyndi Lauper, hello. And I would, I would play this mixtape over and over and over again. Just listen to it nonstop. I'm a little Sony Walkman, right? <laughs> Boom, right there. By the way, for, for some of you in the, who are a little bit younger, um, the, the mixtape is sort of like an 80s version of the iPod, okay? But, but the thing with the mixtape, which is really cool, like when your, your mixtape broke, you didn't take it down to the, uh, the Apple Genius Bar. No, no, no. You, you just got out one of these bad boys, right? <laughs> Stick that in there and boom, you're all good to go. So just it was such a simpler time. Um, so I realize we don't have mixtapes like this anymore. Uh, maybe we have iPods. But, but I think a lot of us have, have a mixtape playing in our head and our heart. And we're playing it over and over again. And the songs on that mixtape are not songs by John Bon Jovi or Madonna. They're songs crafted and created by the enemy of your life. They're songs that remind you of your failures. They're songs that remind you of, of your regrets. So songs that, that say that, that, oh, you don't matter. God doesn't love you. We play these, these messages over and over again, and it just carves out our self-worth and our value. And so part of this series, and we're going to talk about this, part of this series is about blowing up this mixtape, getting rid of the negative mixtape, and putting in a new soundtrack for your heart. And it's a soundtrack of grace the soundtrack of second chances. And what does that look like? And what happens to our stories and our lives when we start living under the music of heaven and the messages of Jesus? Our lives radically change. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. It's a promise from God's word. So living in, in freedom means your self-worth comes from being God's creation. And finally, living in freedom means that your not-so-perfect story, and every one of us has a not-so-perfect story, your not-so-perfect story uh, is, is, can be used to help others. I truly believe that. And that's one of the most wonderful things about this process of going uh, through this workbook, is that you'll discover you'll discover how the stuff in your life and in your story that you thought was a liability or that stuff that you thought belonged in the center console of your heart never to be seen again, how God's going to take that stuff and can use that stuff to help other people. Like, 
But God is in the redemption business. He is in the restoration business. He takes our mess and he turns it into this beautiful message that we can use to help other people. I uh, was young. One of my first jobs was working at the Olive Garden. And it was a horrible job. I got to be honest with you. I was making minimum wage. Uh, I was the lowest on the, the organizational chart. I was the guy who opened the door for people as they came in. I wasn't even sort of the person who took the reservations or the names. I was the person just opening the door. That was my position. And so minimum wage, horrible position. And to top that off, there was a jerky manager that I worked for. Maybe even on top of that was the fact that I, I was working in Olive Garden, <laughs> but we'll leave that off. Um, so just those three alone were enough. Um, so I, I really was, I was doing this job for several months, and I just kind of imagined that I, I, could, I could do that. I could do something better here in this organization. I, I really, my, my skills and my talents were being underutilized at the Olive Garden. I really imagined myself and saw myself being a waiter or a busboy uh, because I was that qualified. I, I wasn't, but I felt I was. And I felt like I could make a lot more money doing that because I got tips. And, and I had some skills. And just the management was not recognizing my skills because they had me on this door duty. And all I would do is open the door and say, we well, you know, welcome to the Olive Garden, the fine Italian establishment. Boy, you're going to be wild. Your taste buds are going to be wild tonight. Mm. Okay. So, so, I had a different picture of what my job should be, and I was praying and hoping that one day my, my jerky manager would, would promote me to being a waiter. And so a few months went on, and he came to me one, one day and said, Mike, we're, we're going to give you a new position. I'm like, oh, yes, here's the day. I'm going to be a waiter. I'm going to make tips. Woohoo! He goes, Mike, we have created this new position for you called the Olive Garden Chef. I'm like, what? The Olive Garden chef, we're going to have you dress up in a Chef Boyardee costume, and we're going to have you stand in the lobby area and make pizzas for people. Let, by the way, I brought a picture. I want to show you what I look like in my, my Olive Garden costume. Here I am. Yes. By the way, I have not aged at all over the years. This is a, but I had to wear this floppy hat, this little red bandana thing, and and I, I had to play this absolutely embarrassing Chef Boyardee role at the Olive Garden. I just went from, like, if I was on the lowest rung of the door opener, now I'm down here. Minimum wage, Chef Boyardee costume, uh, and jerky manager. It was not a good season of my life. But in the midst of all of that, there was this one beautiful thing about working at Olive Garden. It was this fact that I got to eat unlimited these guys. You know what I'm talking about, okay? The Olive Garden breadsticks. Those things are, are godlike, in my opinion. Amazing. Like, God must just be making those in heaven and, and brushing garlic butter all over them. And, and so even though I had this really cruddy job, I could go into the kitchen anytime I want and eat as many breadsticks as I want. It was awesome. And that rocked. Why am I telling you about the Olive Garden? Why am I telling you about Olive Garden breadsticks? Here's why. Because in your cruddy story, in that valley experience, 
in that season of your life that you regret or the season that had just like the dark cloud over it, I promise you there is a olive garden breadstick waiting to be grasped and held onto, okay? Like you, you earned a PhD in pain. God wants you to use it, but here's the deal. Are you embracing it? Are you using your not so perfect story to help others? One of the most powerful things that happened in my freeway small group, and yes, I have gone through the freeway small group. I've had people over my home who have gone through this workbook. I'm, I, I am smoking what I'm selling here, people, okay? So I'm doing it myself. <laughs> and one of, the, one of the most amazing things that happened in my freeway small group, that's going to happen in your group too, I, I guarantee you it, is, is that, that as we began to share our not-so-perfect stories, we get, got to hear from other people, we... we there was just this rush of freedom that came in. In fact, three of the couples that were in my group, unbeknownst to me and unbeknownst to each other, three of the couples that were in my group, out of three out of the five, all had special needs children. And when they began to open up about some of those difficulties and some of the things and challenges and adversities that they were facing as families and couples and some of those dynamics, they, they realized that they weren't alone. And they realized that they weren't the only one. And as we began to kind of, again, open up and crack that center console a little bit, grace and freedom and this lightness of life just began to happen. You see, I truly believe this. I truly believe this. And this is why we're going to do freeway. And this is why we're getting in groups. And this is why we're talking about this stuff for the next seven weeks. It's because the most powerful thing that we can say to each other are these two words. Me too. Me too. We realize that we're not alone, that we're not weird, that we're not sort of abnormal, that, that we don't, there's nothing in your life right now, nothing in your past, nothing in your story that God cannot redeem and also that God has not already forgiven you for. Sure, we hold on to it and we carry it around. And we set up rules in our heads and we stuff things in our center console. And we just feel like life is about gutting it out and hoping that maybe one day it will magically get better. God's saying, no, it can get better now if you want, if you want it. All of us have an opportunity to embrace and grab hold of transformation, of change freedom, to really experience the free way. I pray that that you step out in faith, that you have a little bit of courage, that you begin to slide open the center console of your heart just a little bit and see what God will do. Let's pray. Thank you so much, Lord, for your amazing radical grace, for letting us be people of the second chance. God, we want to experience your freedom. We're done carrying the weight of our past on our shoulders. God, we're so tired of living with unforgiveness in our heart, both for others and for ourselves. God, help us uncover the meaning and the purpose of the the battles that we fought and the things that we've endured. God, let us truly experience your freedom. It's in your son's name we pray. And all of God's people said,
Christian Fellowship, located in Benicia, California.